to celebrate our third anniversary, we're releasing one of our full-length bonus episodes from Patreon. Every month on Patreon, we deliver a deep dive into some of the biggest and most action-packed stories in the history of Marvel Comics. Epic events that are just too big to make it onto the screen. In this episode, we're exploring the time that Wolverine became an agent of Hydra and tried to kill every hero in the Marvel Universe. Check us out on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. Welcome to your August edition of the full-length bonus podcast, bonus episode here, Marvel vs. Marvel. Thank you so much for being with us. You're the most important people in the entire world, the ones that step up, that do the right thing, that really support this show, that really support me and Will, that keep Marvel vs. Marvel on the air. Isn't that right, Will? Oh, damn right. You know it is, baby. Um, as a numerical value, how much do you specifically love uh these supporters uh i want to say infinity plus one but i'm gonna mm. have to go with the next best thing which is 999,000 million. <laughs> i was gonna say 10 but yeah <laughs> oh look at me i i have a very concise numerical value system 10 or 100 people. are real numbers beyond that i don't think they're like to that that sounds just sounds fake to me well, all that I, nonsense I, I, I spent hours before this playing the video game no man's sky which deals with space travel so 10 and 100 are very small numbers little man yeah cool sure. <laughs> <laughs> You said that as if the first part of the thing you said was going to quantify and qualify the last bit of the statement. I played this game, so... About space, about right, space okay. travel, I said. Space travel right. involves large distances and numbers. That, But that wasn't inherent in what you said. You just said, I played this game about space, so... <laughs> what are you talking about? Star Wars is about space, and... I spent a long time watching Star Wars this morning, so, you know, barely, 10 is it, not a big number. Cool, great, yeah, whatever. It's barely about space travel, Star Wars. They don't get into the nitty-gritty and the distance of it. No, because that would be dull shite. <laughs> <laughs> the Batman begins of the sci-fi world. Hey, hey, hey. Um, I like it, admin. Bickering aside, mm. um, <laughs> we thought as we um, delved into uh, the Wolverine on the main show and looked at easily the greatest Wolverine story ever told, um, and I think that really you really enjoyed hearing. You you really seemed to uh, connect to what was going on with that story that we talked about, the emotion of it and the the stuff like that. Yeah, I I, I did I did I did connect to it. I I, I felt what was going on basically. I thought we need to do. We're all about the blockbusters here on the yeah. on the bonus show, the most action orientated blockbuster Wolverine story of all time, to my mind, is uh, Enemy of the State slash Agent of Shield, um, which is what we're bringing you today. Complete opposite, <laughs> complete opposite <laughs> of uh, of the of the Chris Clement Frank Miller classic. Uh, it's written by Mark Miller, who 
I'm not sure he's ever felt a real emotion. Um, and if he has, he's certainly never put it in one of his stories. Uh, so there's none of that going on here. And as for wusses, it's just stabbing and shooting. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Hey, that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, well, what better? You know, it's August. August is the end of the summer. Why don't we round things off with a uh, another summer blockbuster? Wolverine, enemy of the state. It's uh, a wild Wolverine story. The body count is high, and we're gonna Ooh, we're gonna yes. get to why, we're gonna get to how, um, and we're gonna walk you through Wolverine, enemy of the state. The first thing I wanted to do though is to kind of um, go a little bit behind the page because what we're looking at is for the first time we're looking at. Marvel Knights Wolverine, Knights mm. K N I G H T S, which is like a separate kind of um, publishing imprint uh, that Marvel introduced, and that allows characters to be a bit wilder and a bit darker in tone. And that's something we should perhaps have a little chat about. Um, and we need to talk about Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti. So we've talked about Joe Quesada quite a lot, but mm. to briefly go over it, um, after Marvel Comics filed for Chapter 11 and kind of was bought and sold and relaunched, one of the moves they made was that they brought in these two independent comic book writer, artists, and publishers, Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti, who um, had a, 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 a their own publishing thing called Event Comics, which was a, a minor publisher, but they had a... Ash was their big comic book series, uh, event comics. It was the story of a New York firefighter mm. who um, somehow gained um, fire-based powers and had this double life. Um, it was kind of doing this thing of, hey, well, how come cops are involved in loads of comics, but firefighters never are? Um, <laughs> and the artwork from Quesada was something else, and um, it really... Uh, it really Lit a fire. <laughs> it, it it caught people's attentions, and it was, it was the era when um, even if you weren't DC or Marvel or Image Comics, you could get a lot of attention. You could really make some sales um, if you had some great looking art. You know, Top Cow did it with Witchblade, and there was an, a number of little smaller publishers that were doing things that weren't necessarily superhero comics that were a bit more. Sci-fi or fantasy orientated, very action orientated, but but had superhero like they very much had D- Marvel and DC writing traditions in their core, in their veins. Um, and these guys had made had done such an amazing job at event comics. Like their profitability was really high, their reach was really high, and they were really good at at publishing and the creative side of it. Marvel brought them in to produce a line of of comic books at Marvel, dubbed Marvel Knights. And this was like... We we talked about how DC Comics had this thing in the the 80s called what became Vertigo, Mm. which was a mature, adult-orientated line. And more than that, Karen Berger, the phenomenal editor that kind of birthed Vertigo into life, she was this pipeline to this incredible collection of independent comic book writers and artists from Ireland, Scotland, England, some in Wales as well. And they came over, did some of these adult-themed, kind of slightly non-traditional, mainly fantasy, mainly sci-fi-based comics, 
We're talking Grant Morrison. We're mm. talking Alan Moore. We're talking Ooh. like all these cats, Garth Ennis. And from that point on, when they had done that and caused buzz, and yeah, it's great and they make sales and all of that. But then DC has got a line on the hottest new writers and artists in the uh, in the business. Marvel never had that, you know, and Marvel Knights was the first step to do that. And Joe Quesada, Jimmy Palmiotti are plugged in because they are independent, not just indie artists and writers, but publishers as well. Mm. Self-published and created their own company and all of that. And so the idea behind Marvel Knights is that Quesada and Palmiotti would recruit a bunch of fantastically talented writers and artists that were kind of outside of the Marvel system. And they would bring them in to work on a number of low-profile characters, um, such as Daredevil, Punisher, the Inhumans, and Black Panther. I think those were the the, the clutch of the ones at the start. Yeah. So we got Grant Morrison doing his. What did we do? We get Jay Lee to begin with. Hmm. I think it was Grant Morrison's Inhumans. Hmm. Um, we got um, Garth Ennis doing the Punisher. <laughs> That we'd already talked about. Yeah, yeah. Um, where it's wacky and it's funny, but it's also very dark and kind of violent and aggressive. They bring in Kevin Smith to work on Daredevil. Ah, uh, yes. Um, reignites, you know, set, takes Daredevil from being a forgotten comic that no one cared about to the number one comic published in the industry. You know, and then they brought in great artists, uh, David W. Mack, Mike Oming, um, Brian Michael Brian Michael Bendis wasn't a part of this actually. Um, Steve Dillon came in, and joined in. So all of that sort of stuff was um, was was really really cool, and this progressed uh, to the point where then Joe Quesada does such a great job as the line editor for Marvel Knights. Marvel needs a new editor in chief to reinvigorate the whole company, and they go, "We just need Joe to do this. Joe, mm. take over the whole company," um, and. That from that stage, they two thousand and one, they publish an issue of X Force, or they put out a publish uh, an issue of X Force, and the Comics Code Authority that we we talked about the Comics Code Authority had to be implemented after all the book burnings, and there was going to be Senate hearings, and yeah. you know the the way the way that they saved the comic book industry is they came up with their own self regulatory body that was there to make sure there wasn't lots of graphic stuff, violence, sexual content, drug abuse, delinquency and all of that. That's uh, that's the thing when, then, when after we covered that in the podcast, every time I see an old comic book uh, cover, I instantly recognize the Comic Code Authority logo. The little stamp, yeah. the little stamp. I I reckon I my eye locks into it, zooms in right away. And the whole point behind the Comic Code Authority hmm. It wasn't government oversight. It was nope. um, independent body set up and funded by all the publishers. Mm. But um, back in the olden days, comic books were sold on news newspaper stands, newsstands yeah. in America, and they were sold in chemists and pharmacies and some some small markets, supermarkets, drug, but mainly drugstores and places mm. like that. They would not put a comic on the shelf that did not have the Comic Code Authority stamp of approval. Right. It was a way of cleaning up the industry and saying, your kids can come here and buy things, and they're not going to be buying graphic horror, graphic violence, all that kind of stuff. What I'd be interested in seeing is which uh, comics didn't get that stamp, which comics did get filtered out. 
Um, well, there's a couple of famous examples. So, um, when Marvel Comics had Harry Osborn, they ran a story where Harry Osborn becomes a drug addict and uh. battles a pill addiction. Um, depiction of drug abuse was banned. Now, this story presented it as like almost like a public service announcement. Hey, kids, don't do drugs. It was <laughs> the guy was messed up. It, it ruined his life and his friendships and his family. He had to get help. It was portraying drug abuse as a negative thing. Mm. But the Comic Code Authority at the time did not have any flexibility in that. It was simply you cannot portray drug abuse of any kind. No nuance. No nuance. So, absolutely. But Marvel decided to run the issue even though it had not been given the stamp of approval. Ooh. A big, big risk for them, because there were no comic book shops at the time. There was no direct comic book market. In order to reach the public, you had to be on the newsstands and on in the chemists and in the drugstores and things. Um, and it's a... You know, DC did it as well. They had a character called Speedy, who was the green uh, arrow sidekick, and he was... Uh, hooked on heroin and he's actually <laughs> on the front cover like tying a tourniquet around his arm to uh to start you know Bloody or he's just under yeah. one he's about to start jabbing himself with them needles um what's missing is a spoon and a lighter jeez mm. so 2001 <laughs> by by the time we get to the year 2000 the Comics Code Authority has become very lax and loose, and mm. with the direct with the direct market explosion of the eighties. Go back and listen to our Moon Knight episode where we talked about that. Um, evergreen content, baby. Like you, you've got comic book fans going to a comic book shop to buy comic books from people that buy directly from Marvel and DC. Mm. There's no real concern. <laughs> About what's going to happen when they're not. I mean, like, like, look, they're still sold in like Walmart and places like that. Mm. But there's another route, another way of doing it. The Comics Code Authority, like I guess, like TV censorship and movie censorship, it's got laxer and looser as we as a society have grown more sophisticated. Um, and you know, it's it's felt that we can easily distinguish between positive depiction of violence and a negative mm. depiction of violence, or what have you but by 2001 marvel put out an issue of x-force that the comic code authority slammed down and saying no we will not give the stamp of approval to this this is too violent Hmm. and marvel's response then is to ditch the entire all every comic marvel announced we will no longer be part of the comic code authority It is outdated, it is antiquated, it is no longer needed in the modern era. They're the first to do it since it came in in the the 50s, 60s. And that led the way. No one, I don't think anyone subscribes to it anymore. But it, it was, it was, it was. I want to say front page news. It was front page news in Wizard, the comic book magazine. <laughs> yeah, like, but say. it was a big story, big, yeah, massive yeah. story. And even me as a kid, I was like, whoa, what does this mean? And Marvel will catch up about it. He goes, look, we're just going to bring in our own system. We're going to have PG comics. We're going to have PG plus comics. And we're going to have parental advisory slash explicit content. Those are, and you guys can, you know, choose and make those choices. We are going to start as Marvel publishing stuff that has more violence in, stuff that has more swearing in, stuff that might have more sexual content, darker story tones. But 
we're going to publish them, and it's up to you to decide. Mm. Like, DC had already been doing this with Vertigo. Vertigo, I don't think, had um, Comic Code Authority uh, approval because they were mature comics. Yeah. And they're often only sold through the direct market. But DC didn't withdraw their whole line. Mm. They said, we've got Comic Code approved stories, Superman, Batman, Justice League, and then we've got Sandman, we've got Swamp Thing, we've got Hellblazer, and those don't have the approval because they're for mature readers. Um, But Marvel did not have, up until 2001, that mature line. So when they got that rejection, and let me say this about it, Joe Quesada is... And, and Bill Jemis as well, who was the publisher, I believe, were fantastic at creating media stories about Marvel at this time. At creating media stories? Media stories, yes. Uh, get attention. Now, this story gets out, and guess what happens to that issue of X-Force? Uh, it sells out. Everyone wants to read the story that's so violent, Marvel <laughs> had to leave the CCA. Right, oh, it draws loads of attention. Yeah. Now, I don't. I've never heard it said that it was done on purpose. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm confident Marvel were waiting for one of their comics that had a more mature audience already to push that line. They were waiting for the CCA to push back so they could immediately come out and go, "We're leaving completely." Then we're leaving completely so because they, that's a better story than quietly doing it they quite yeah that it, it does sound like they're playing a game of chess here and they're thinking several moves ahead of what to do next yeah oh that's smart so this is what they come out with it's going to be like the movie industry pg pg plus um and they and uh, but then the motion picture association of america um actually files a complaint because it owns a trademark over PG and PG-13 and stuff like that. So Marvel's like, ah, oh, we can't use PG and all that kind of stuff. So they, yeah. they have to come up with their own um, grading system, like, like uh, yeah, their own guidance system. And Marvel introduced um, PSR, Parental Supervision Recommended. PSR Plus, um, which was you know adult supervision needed um and that was the psr plus was there for marvel knights books and then they had a stage above that which was parental advisory explicit content which was there for the marvel max line mm. the marvel max line we talked about with punisher max yes that is where you are going to get Extensive swearing and violence and sexual content. All sorts of effing and jeffing. <laughs> Marvel Knights, you aren't going to get explicit violence. You're not going to get nudity, but you are going to get darker themes. You are going to get darker stories, um, darker tones, and it is going to be more more grown up. And this, then, is the first time that we are seeing Wolverine go from essentially like regular Marvel PG to uh, I don't know what you might call I don't know what they call it America TVMA or PG thirteen or fifteen yeah or it was NC seventeen or whatever as well I mm. don't know the rating systems even though I learnt about them in college so we're looking at violent Wolverine. Something I, I kind of wanted when I discussed the Wolverine film. 
20-year-old me wanted more Wolverine violence, but before we sink our teeth in, do we need to know anything to set this story up? Um, general Wolverineiness of the nineties. The big, the big, big story is one that we mentioned on the main show: Fatal Attraction, mm. where it ends with, um, it ends with Magneto ripping the adamantium out of Wolverine's body, yeah. and it critically, critically harms Wolverine. He's near death. We. Uh, it's revealed he has bone claws, which we never knew about. His healing factor is taxed to the limit and looks like it goes away. And mm. then it does come back. And Wolverine's, Wolverine reverts to this almost um, canine, simian-like be- beast creature. He's very weird-looking and ugly-looking. He loses yeah. all his cool, awesome features. For some reason, he starts wearing a bandana with, with, with holes cut in around the eyes as a mask. There's never explanation given for that. He has this very weird feral snout nose. He kind of goes around almost double. He kind of clambers around a little bit like the beast, but without the blue hair and everything. It's very odd. Mm. During that period of time, it is Electra who finds Wolverine and starts to kind of heal him using like ninja techniques. Of centering yourself, using your chi and your spirit, and yes. um, ignoring pain, blocking out pain, because now he's got to deal with a world where he's in a lot of pain all the time, and like every time, every time his his claws come through his hands, his claws have to rip through his flesh. I always thought about that when I saw it happen. Like after well, a while, you get, I suppose, you get used to it. To no, no. Reg- regularly, Wolverine has um, uh, metal casing. Oh, okay. They come through a sheath, a metal sheath. So he, 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 it's sliding in and out, and it's I th- fine. I think that's what I saw in the cartoon. You had the little nubbins at the end. He has on his on his gloves, he has these kind of metal housing points on his gloves where they come out. Um, but when the adamantium is gone, mm. all the metal's gone. So that sheath, that casing oh. in his, is gone, and it's bone on bone. And so when the bones come out, they pierce and rip through his skin each time because, of course, it heals over. Um, so he has to come, he has to get, you know, try and uh, ignore a lot of pain. And Electra's the one who kind of heals him and helps him get through this, and they have this very strong um, bond um, and kind of helps him go from being this kind of beast that's barely. Can't can't really monosyllabic can barely talk and he mm. gets him back to being kind of Wolverine a person again uh, and a human again. Um, and the only other thing really is because of how it's going to dance around when we when we go through the story is that this story introduces a major new villain for Wolverine two thousand and four. I think this comes out. It's a major new villain. He'll go on to be a major new villain for Marvel, but to begin with, a, a major new villain for Wolverine called Gorgon. Gorgon rings a bell. Who is he? Um, well, Gorgon is a... Mm, well, okay. Well, it's a creature of, <laughs> Gorgon is a creature of myth, the Gorgon. It does sound like something from D&D. Oh, well, there you go, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, Tommy Shishido, when he was two weeks old... 
Tommy Shishido spoke his first sentence. Mm. When he was three months old, he could already walk. By the time of his first birthday, he was able to read and write. At age four, he was ranked among the top five artists in Japan. When he was six, he tried to commit suicide for the first time. <laughs> Second time. Um, and Hood also composed his first opera. And when he was 13, he developed external mutant abilities and realised he's a mutant. So his mutant powers is he's basically Mozart. <laughs> Partly, but Mozart, who can turn anyone he looks at to stone. Oh, stony Mozart. His uh, primary mutant ability that developed when he was a teenager is that if he makes eye contact with someone, he'll turn you to stone. Hence yeah. the name Gorgon, the creature of, of Greek myth, that did the same. Um, I thought it was uh, he, Medusa that turned you to stone. or is that... Medusa is a Gorgon. Medusa's oh. the name. But... <laughs> Sorry, that just came Gorgon off... is the type of creature. That came off very Alan Partridge-esque. Like, oh, Frankenstein's a type of zombie. It's like when people say... Tannoy when they mean public address system. Wouldn't have to do it if you weren't so wrong about your Greek myths, though, would I? I'd just be able to breeze through. But now here he comes in. Thought that was Medusa. Oh, you sound like a fool Medusa's, to anyone who Medusa's spent their not the name youth. of the monster, it's the name of the creator. So he Tommy then is kind of given the name Gorgon by the press and mm. scared people. And he spends his youth blindfolded to prevent turning everyone to stone. Ah. He also possesses, as he begins his um, martial arts training, a moderate form of telepathy, which enables him to perfectly, pre well, not to predict, he knows what your his opponent's next move is going to be. Because wow. they're thinking, I'm going to do this next. So he knows it. This makes Scorgon virtually unbeatable in a fight. So it's kind of like, who is the who is that bad guy in... Uh, Black Can we Widow? reference to something I don't know? Black Widow. Oh, uh, the Taskmaster. The Taskmaster, because task, that was the Taskmaster's power as well, wasn't it? No, no. Oh, he for, has, um, for the film it was. He has telereflective abilities. If he ah. sees a move, he can perfectly... He can perfectly replicate the move. That's it. He has to learn the move first. Right. Okay. Forget. He I doesn't said have to learn it. He just has to see you do it, and he can do it. That's what I mean. It's not learning. It's seeing. Um, <laughs> so as he starts to train as a in, in martial arts, he is just unstoppable. Mm. Um, and he is... Uh, because his genius was so pronounced at such an early age, it's pretty clear his genius is... Part of his mutant abilities, as 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 well, um, superhuman. I'm about superhuman intellect, but he is a you know he was able to master every martial art technique. He's a master Ooh. swordsman. He's a master tactician. Um, and that's where he puts his his ideas and his his brain power as well. Um, and he's an art artistic and scientific. At a young age, he devised a. This is very Mark Miller. <laughs> Here we go. We've got a, but we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute. At a young age, Gorgon devised a mathematical formula that proved without question the existence of God. <laughs> <laughs> Which made Gorgon uh, absolutely hate God, because he said if God exists, then man is nothing more than a slave. 
so he he, yeah. he gains this hatred for God and God's creation and wants to break the shackles of God's uh, slavery. How does that sound, Mark Miller, and not Garth Ennis? Ennis, not Ennis. Um, it, it, it's it's the way in which it's done. Okay. Ennis would probably show you a scene where that happens. Mm. What happens with Miller is that it's re- this information. We'll get to it in a minute. We'll get to it in a minute. Of right? course, yeah. Um, as a teenager, the Gorgon uh, forms a mutant death cult, a Japanese mutant death cult called Dawn of the White Lights, which is described as being. Like, a hundred times worse than the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. A hundred times worse than Magneto. Like, they laugh at the little adventures of Magneto in his Brotherhood. Mm. Um, and they subject Japan to terrorist attacks. And So, the, the, the milliness of it all is that all of this information is given to you via offhand comments and conversation. Ah, uh. Miller does so. Miller does two things an awful lot, right? He in his Marvel comics, um, he is always introducing a villain that's the worst villain ever that nobody's ever heard of because they were <laughs> secret until just now, right? Always. When he was writing Fantastic Four, instead of writing a really awesome Doctor Doom story, he went, "Oh, you you think Doctor Doom's good?" He is the man that taught Doctor Doom everything he knows and trained him for years, and you've never heard of him until just now. And he's like super Doctor Doom. Oh, it's like you know. You and know the whole you, story was about that. He's always doing this. You know, when you play, when you're a kid and you no, play, I'm not going to know this. <laughs> yeah, I, no, no, I'm not going to know this, Will, because I didn't have a childhood. No, no, you know when you're playing with a mate with action figures and they're going ah, oh, and then this came and then that came and you know that that escalation yeah. of ridiculousness and then he had this thing which you didn't know about until now. It feels like that. It's 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 definitely this escalation. It's yeah. definitely my new character is is better than the classic character that has been around for ages. Yeah. Because I've just said it <laughs> rather than show it. And yeah. And it's all, honestly the information is always delivered to you off I can distinctly remember that you learn about the guy who is called the Master of Doom because he's Doctor Doom's master. You learn that he exists in like a conversation had between two characters walking down a corridor. And it's like, oh, anyway, I, I hear he taught Doctor Doom everything he knows, and he's uh, eleven times more powerful. So we've got to watch out for him. I'm like, well, how is that an introduction? That is, and it's the same. It's the same in this, like the Dawn of the White Light, who yeah. are uh, like two characters discuss them and go, well, they're uh, even worse than the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. They laugh at, at Magni. It's they laugh at what Magneto do. It's like introducing how he goes, oh, this who's my new character, it's Billy Hitler. Oh, Billy Hitler. A- Adolf's evil older brother. Oh, he's the worst hit. Yeah, I know you think Hitler's bad, but you've never met Billy Hitler. You know when he heard about the genocide? He laughed. He said it was like kid stuff. Oh, my God. You're going to just... Like, it's it's all... And it's always... Because Mark Miller only ever wants to do, at the most, 12 issues of anything. Yeah. He doesn't have the time to give you three or four issues establishing a new character. So it's hit the ground running. Here comes the guy that's 11 times worse than Doctor Doom. And he's killed Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom's dead now on page four. And he killed Galactus. (laughs) And here we go. 
And um, whoever's in charge of continuity for everything else is going, oh, for the love of God, Miller, stop honest, this. Honestly, that Fantastic Four run he did is one of the worst things I've read. Um, <laughs> so, but Gorgon's... Gorgon is a... I really think Gorgon is a great... is a good character. I think his collection, his collection of powers is really good. And I think he's kind of perfect for Wolverine. Because of the way Wolverine and two thousand where are we mid two thousands here, Wolverine has not become um what he is today, but he's mm. still pretty unbeatable. He's still he's not the guy we saw in that eighties Japan story we talked about. <clears throat> he is still he is you know, throughout the nineties and the eighties he was like the top guy. So it's important for you to have a villain that is like this guy makes Wolverine the underdog. Mm. That's important in a Wolverine villain. There aren't yes. a lot of them knocking around. And I think this is such a good... Um, Wolverine, he's the greatest fighter. Not anymore, because this guy literally knows what he's about to do. Oh, well, Wolverine's got a healing factor. He'll turn you to stone with a glance. That's really, like, good for, for a Wolverine character, uh, villain. Um, so... We we learned that the Gorgon went from the dawn of the white light, and and he was like, I want to do more than that. So he finds the the ancient ancestral sanctuary of the Hand, ah, hidden from the world. Yeah. He kills all the guards, um, and demonstrates, and he goes into like the master of the Hand, and he's like, I have killed my whole family, and the only <laughs> friend I ever loved. Just to prove my devotion, and the 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 Jonin of the hand, the master of the hand, is like proves nothing. That proves nothing to me. Um, I don't know why you came here. What on earth you can do? And so Gorgon's like, okay, you want dedication? And then he stabs himself through the heart. <laughs> and as he doubles over and is dying with his dying breath, and the Jonin, all the all the ancient hand masters are like, what happened? And as he's dying, he goes resurrect me and then dies and that is such an act of faith and dedication to the the beast that the hand worship Mm. the hand do resurrect gorgon back from the dead and mystically imbue him with even more powers um you know advanced levels of strength and speed and a an a healing factor of some description. Um, no one, I don't oh. think he's ever kind of said, oh, it's as good as Deadpool or whatever, but he's able to heal quicker. It sounds um, a lot like Deadpool. What, a healing factor? Healing factor, ninjas, sounds like Deadpool. Deadpool's not a ninja. He has At two all, ninja swords. He has ninja swords. He's not a ninja. The correct, the correct one is Wolverine. Wolverine, very definitely, well, he's not a ninja, he's a samurai, but... Yeah. No. Okay. Keep just basically keep Deadpool out your mouth when you talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to don't want to talk about Deadpool unless I'm being paid, which I technically am. Um, <laughs> so he comes back and he he's he's one of the Hand's greatest warriors, mm. and within a year becomes the high priest of the Hand, running mm. the show. Um, and then and then soon after that, right as our story starts, you know, uh, right before our story begins. He forges an alliance between the Hand and Baron von Strucker, um, who is beginning to lose his grip on Hydra and is desperate for help to retain his position as the Mac Daddy terrorist of them all. 
Gorgon, eh? Poor Gorgon. It's a shame he wasn't with Hydra in the beginning, or, or related even, to Armin Zola. Because his name would be Gorgon Zola. Boo! Boo! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's horrifyingly bad. But also, I was, very quick of you. I very was quick sitting of you. on that. For twenty minutes, <laughs> as soon it as you heard the word Gorgon, so uncomfortable. <sighs> but I could anyway. On to more pressing matters, Rob. How does our story begin? You cheesy son of a! Uh, the story starts <laughs> with a, a chauffeur in Tokyo, um, and he's good at his job. He's been driving his rich boss for many, many years, um, and they have sons around the same age. And the chauffeur takes the both the little boys to play on their baseball. You know, it's, I don't know if it's probably not called Little League in Tokyo, but uh, kind of a little, little, little League mm. baseball game. Yeah. And the chauffeur sits and watches, amuses about how he, like he's looking for his son. He goes, oh, which one's my son? Wants to put the uniforms on, all these little kids. It's hard to tell them apart. And he's like, especially my kid and the my boss's son. They look very similar. And as he thinks that... A bunch of gangsters grab the chauffeur's son, bundle him into a car, and kidnap him. The gangsters think they've kidnapped the son of a rich businessman, but they got the wrong kid. He's relaying all this information Hmm. um, to someone else. The gangsters demand $10 million equivalent. Um, uh, The chauffeur and his wife are distraught. They get the ransom note. They go to the rich man... Well, the rich man gets the ransom note, essentially. And mm. they're, they're, what can we do? What can we do, boss? What can we do? And they ask for help. And the rich man says, I mean, I, I'd like to help you, but I'd struggle to lay my hands on this much for my own son. <laughs> How can I possibly pay that much money for someone who isn't my child? Oof. You must go to the police. This has nothing to do with me. So the, the the chauffeur goes to the police, but the police manpower, like there was a lot of manpower rolled out at the start when they thought a rich child had been kidnapped and then uh, dwindles immediately when it's like, no, oh. no, it was a mix up. It's just this other kid yeah. and the victim is less important in bunny is even the media um, that the, the, the man relays, even the media, like they, when they cover the story, they spend more time talking about the rich man on the peripheral than they do talking about the real victims. Mm. And all would be lost for this rich man. Sorry, all would be lost for the chauffeur, except for the fact that the chauffeur is a Chiro Yashida, mm. the beloved cousin of Mariko. And he places a call, and so Logan flies to Tokyo to handle some family business. Um, there is surprise. Like, look, Mark Miller is able to come up with incredible. He he is a is a, he's a Marmite writer. <laughs> you could say that again. Even in stuff that I dislike of his, there are some brilliant bits of dialogue, brilliant scenes, brilliant kind of um, concepts. He's really great at coming up with that concept is going to hook people mm. like civil war yeah. um like i mean even even stuff i think is a bit dumb poorly executed there's a guy who's even worse than doctor doom i'd like to read about that you know that kind of thing yeah um the concept of this is, but the, the, there's there's 
in his Marvel work, there's very little depth. <laughs> there is very, very little depth <laughs> in Enemy of State. This is high up. I mean, look, there's little depth. There's very little depth in Fast and the Furious. They're still amazing movies. There's very little depth in the Mission Impossible movies. They're still incredible. I watch them every every time they come out. Yeah. And this is high octane, balls to the wall, action blockbuster through and through. But it does start with some nice little emotional continuity that I think you'll appreciate having learnt about the Clement Miller Wolverine that we talked about in the main show. Because Wolverine kind of starts this by... He appears in the rain and he's just like... Talks about how much he hates Japan because it's so beautiful. Mm. And all the beautiful things he sees around Japan remind him of Mariko, of what was nearly their wedding day, of their courtship, of all these things, cherry blossoms and the beautiful mountains and all of that... He goes, we did this here and we did that there and she smiled at me here. And he talks about how, how much it hurts just being back in Japan, surrounded by the sights and for him, especially the smells mm. that he associates with that time with Mariko. Um, and that, that I felt like we got off to a very, I think the start of this story is really good um, and really gets you in. The story of the the chauffeur and the, Mistaken identity and luckiness is gut wrenching, and seeing everything fall apart for him, mm. like and everyone leaving to the wayside. Oh, you just like that. You can really feel that. Yeah, the system. Every system has failed him, and no one cares. And then here's you know, gruff old Clint Eastwood Wolverine. <clears throat> so he travels to Japan to to meet with the, the the kidnappers, and they arrange the meet in the graveyard. And Wolverine's got two bags. Two heavy duffel bags um, that he tells them is full of the money. And then when he hands them over, they go, it's just dirty laundry. Um, and he pops his claws and you th- you think to yourself, oh, they're in trouble. Yeah. And then every single grave is unearthed and hand ninjas crawl out of every grave in this cemetery. Oh. Every one of them. And a huge fight breaks out. That's a good ambush. And it turns out this has been a trap all along. <laughs> the kidnapping was done specifically targeting. It's not a case of mistaken identity. It's specifically done to target the cousin of Mariko because they knew what would happen from this point on. And Wolverine is now in this cemetery surrounded by undead hand warriors and he's hacking and slashing. And he fights through them all until only... Um, him and the kidnapper, one of the kidnappers that was in charge and talking about the the ransom and all that is left. And then he's like, claws out, and he's like, okay, where's the kid? Where's the kid? Um, and he's, just as this kidnapper is about to give him this information, the Wolverine, like, this guy, like, dies, and blood comes out of his mouth, and he's like, Wolverine Ooh. looks down, and there's a sword is stabbed this guy in the front of the chest, which means it has come through Wolverine's body and he didn't feel it didn't see it he's been stabbed ran through from behind and the blades come all the way katanas come all the way through Wolverine into this kidnapper and killed him and Wolverine is aside from the fact he's losing blood very quickly and he's out of it he's like this is not possible um <laughs> this is not possible nobody's that fast nobody's that silent I can't even smell this guy. Ooh. And that's when we meet Gorgon for the first time. Oh, so he's so he's super good at getting past his senses then. 
He's just that good of a ninja. He he's the Mark greatest Miller's ninja right. walking the earth. Mark Miller's um, going, and he can beat Wolverine's <clears throat> senses. Immediately. <laughs> um, oh, Wolverine's dead. Wolverine's dead now. He's been killed. Oh, he's dead now. He's dead now. The last thing he learns uh, from Gorgon is to just let you know um, we fed Ichiro's son to our pigs. Oh. And then he collapses, the scene goes black, and that's Wolverine is dead now. This has turned into Hannibal. <laughs> this is horrible. Well, we don't know Wolverine's dead, sorry. Wolverine is out of the picture. Out of the... Well, yeah. Oh, but that's... Okay, we kill someone, and in their di- as they're dying... By the way, we fed a child to some hogs. Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's an extra... That's a very Mark Miller level of darkness, isn't it? Because, uh, you, know, you know, when he does those bits in his, some of his comics, uh, obviously non-Marvel comics, I mean, like Kick-Ass and Nemesis and stuff, and they're just bits that don't feel like an evil character. They just feel in bad taste and uncomfortable. That is yeah, he... he, he um... He weaponizes sexual assault and sexual abuse yeah. an awful lot in his in his mature comics. Yeah, um, it's it's very I'm, uncomfortable I'm reading that. reading yeah. that stuff. Yeah, he he likes to go. How do I get everyone to know this character is really evil? Oh, they're a cannibal. Oh, they engage in incest. Oh, they and just little offhand things. And you go, oh, okay. Could have like, been an evil guy, Mark. I didn't need that, but thanks. Why can't you just you know do some nuance and just you know show stuff that he does that's evil, but don't do it like oh, ev- he's de- evil down to his core. There's nothing good about him. He's an absolute monster. Oh, I don't. I like don't those mind both those. Appro- it's, it's the approach, really. I don't necessarily. I do like characters that are evil down to their core, but I think it's the approach of yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. There is that. But yeah, this is incredibly dark. Like, so it's a good example of the difference that that this opening is a good example of the difference between Marvel Knights, which is um, maybe you'd say it's for teens and young adults, mm. and Marvel Max. Well, no, it's for teens. Like I don't know, Marvel Max, which is mature, mature. Mm. So in Marvel Max, in that fight, you would have seen loads of blood mm. and dismemberment and swearing. In Marvel Knights, with that fight with the hand, like, you don't see blood, and there isn't swearing, but you are hit over the head with the fact that Wolverine is killing people. Mm. Like, the way it's drawn, great artwork from John Romita Jr. We've talked an awful lot about John Romita Sr., who was um, the greatest, for my money, the greatest Spider-Man artist of all time, um... And really defines what Spider-Man looks like. Um, well, he had uh, two. He had a son who got into the business as well, John Romita Jr. Mm. And he draws this, and he has a he has there's a, a way he draws Wolverine's claws going into clothes where you go, oh that guy's dead, but I didn't see anything. Ah, right? uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like the the, the shower scene in Psycho. Yeah, you kind of yeah, you get yeah. the impact without it being gratuitous. That's the. Um, but they'd let you know there's a constant talk of death and killing. And then there's that horrible line that, that is very dark. I think that's the difference. We, we perhaps would have seen some of that in a Marvel Max um, story. We would have seen blood and guts and all of that. But but you, so you don't necessarily get that in Marvel Knights, but you do get the, the dark tone, the dark story, the dark dialogue. The implication. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help. Yeah, it. it's the Dennis Reynolds of the uh, Marvel line. 
The Wolverine Dennis Reynolds edition. So yeah. the scene goes black, and one month later, we are in um, uh, 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 the scene of a massacre in a church in Minneapolis. The hand have massacred a church full of worshippers, and they've scrawled things on the walls and desecrated the scene. And Nick Fury is there observing um, an investigation of this crime scene along with Electra wearing like an FBI bomber jacket and a baseball cap. Uh, just because, I don't know, just because. Um, and Fury sort of t- tells. We we learn through dialogue that Fury is bringing Electra in on a freelance basic basis to work for Shield because of her expertise with the hands, mm. and he says Shield's uncovered this looks like a plot involving the hands and Hydra to take down various superheroes. There's this list of very powerful heroes, and we're like we think they are targets of some sort of a big assassination plot. Um, and as they're leaving this crime scene, a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent informs Fury that Wolverine has been found. Um, he was He's in a coma, and he's on board one of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s um, aircraft carriers, a, mm. a ship in the ocean, near where they found him. Um, he was found in a, in a crater. It was, so he was found in a crater, missing an eye, burned horribly beyond Ooh. recognition, barely alive. So Electra is sent to, um, to, uh, to pick up the, 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 the threads of this investigation. Um, mm. She's sent to the, the aircraft carrier. And we see Wolverine in this aircraft carrier, like in a in a shield hospital in, in shield infirmary on the ship, um, in a hospital bed covered in bandages, things blipping away to keep an yeah. eye, and he's he's not moving, not talking, and there's a, sh- a shield nurse tending to him, and talking to him, and he doesn't respond, but we get a moment of very human interaction, as she's kind of flirting with him, <laughs> she's like, I don't know if you remember me or recognize me, but we work together. On that mission that one time, like the other year, like, you know, we had that little moment and I asked for your number and you gave me your number, but like you gave me a fake number and she kind of giggles about it rather than being pissed off. And she's like, yeah, put me through to the Fantastic Four, like call center line <laughs> at the Baxter building and You've I was like reached no, no. the Reed Richards rescue phone yeah but she's not like angry about it she's like oh you, you and and cheeky. she's kind of gearing up to and mm. as that's going on yeah. um we see uh, Wolverine can't can't talk or anything but we get like um we see his thoughts is in a monologue is depicted in text boxes on the page mm. so it used to be back in the olden days that Characters, when they think, their thoughts would appear in thought balloons. Yes. Thought bubbles that would come out, like the speech bubbles come out. Yeah, the little, the, little puffy clouds. But comic books did away with that um, some point in the 90s. Really? Um, mm, yeah. In general now, most postmodern comics, thoughts appear in text boxes. Ah, uh, like they're narrating not, a story. Not balloons. Yeah, yeah, that and makes sense. And it's kind of down to the language used for the reader to decide whether this is uh, omnipresent narrator or whether this is the thoughts of the character. Oh, right? I like that. I love um, that. It's just, you, you pick it up very easily. Yeah. So throughout this story, this whole story has been is being narrated by Wolverine. Mm. 
So the the, the thing about the uh, about uh, Ichiro and the, and his son, like it's Wolverine telling us what he just heard from Ichiro, and then now we're here, right? Mm. So we see Wolverine's thought balloons uh, in a monologue in text boxes, yellow text boxes on the page, and as he's wondering where he is and what happened, there's another set of text boxes in green. And these thoughts appear right after his thoughts, and they say things like, Killer, stabber, tear her guts out, do it now. Oh, God. And we pick up and learn from this dueling in a monologue that this is implants, thoughts, brainwashing thoughts. Mm. This is still Wolverine's personality, but it's another part of his personality that's kind of been implanted there by... Hydra. He's on some sort of mission for Hydra. Oh, He's no. been programmed and brainwashed with commands that have supplanted his personality and, and installed, given him, corrupted him. He's been completely corrupted and brainwashed, basically. Mm. And he pops his claws through the bandages and stabs the nurse to death. Oh, God. Oh, it, do, 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 does he show? They any- give you that. They they give you that human moment. Yeah. Right. Miller. This is a. This that is good writing. It's not killing a faceless nobody. In one panel or two panels, he gives us this human moment. He makes her a real fleshed out character, however yeah, briefly. Yeah, yeah. And and gives us that connection between them. This isn't somebody he doesn't know. This is somebody that you know. There was a flirtation. And there was a little something between them, and then. Boom! Stabs her to death. It's just, just, just that right amount, just to make it way more that death. Yes, absolutely right there. Yeah, that's horrible. We see that this is all taking place on this on this aircraft carrier in the ocean, which loses power as soon as Wolverine wakes up and starts walking around, and that lets a lot of people know mm. something bad is happening. And Wolverine now is going around slaughtering shield agents and personnel left, right, and center. Um, And they're fully armed, but it's Wolverine. And they're in tight quarters. They can't... It doesn't matter what they do. He's just going to dig through them. Um, Electra ditches the shield agents that she's with and gets into a hiding position, Mm. gets her size ready, and like the the shield agents she was with are now dying... And they're kind of calling out to her, like, why aren't you doing anything? She knows she's only going to get one shot at doing something. And she waits, and she waits, and she waits. And then at the perfect moment, as Wolverine is busy killing other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and personnel, she leaps in, gets through Wolverine's guard, and stabs him in two perfect muscle-nerve quadrants with her size completely paralyzing him he cannot move he can't do anything like there's a lot you can do with like wolverine has a lot of like his bones and he can heal and everything yeah but he still has nerve clusters and he still relies on electricity going from one part of his body to the other and electra knows this and boom gets those (laughs) size in precision placements he is paralyzed now and he can't move and so she's like, okay, I've gotten control of this now. And she's trying to talk to him to work out what's going on. She's calling for backup. 
and Wolverine starts to grin. It's the only thing he can do with his body. He's grinning. And she's like, why are you grinning? And then there's this huge explosion on the boats, on the on the aircraft carrier. The hull breaches, and water starts to flood in. And we learn from Logan's internal monologue, this is his plan B. The first thing he did when he woke up was break into the arms and ordnance chamber, steal explosives, and set bombs in key places that he knew he was going to need to be. And it rips this hole in the ship. And Electra and the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and are just like sucked out and swept away. Oh, God. As, as Wolverine kind of makes his escape. And there's this chilling scene uh, in the ocean. Wolverine talks about how the agents are going to be bashed against the hull of the ship by the force of the pressure. Mm. Um, and a school of sharks are attracted to the blood, and they come down and start tearing up through the shield personnel on the water. And Wolverine is just... He can see that they're helpless, and he talks about them being helpless. And he just calmly pushes their bodies out of the way as he swims past them all. <sighs> Electra is like I think she's the only person that survives the sinking of this ship, and Wolverine knows that he's like, can't she's died too many times? She's not, yeah, she's not. Yeah. This isn't going to finish her off. Um, but she washes ashore, and we later see her informing Shield agents that everything we just saw was a ruse. Mm. Wolverine orchestrated the entire scenario to get himself aboard that particular carrier mm. because that particular carrier there was a way a weak spot for him to hack shield's mainframe wolverine has stolen shield codes passwords intel schematics all the most dangerous secrets that shield kept guarded Part two of Wolverine, Enemy of the State, is coming up on the other side of this break. Don't miss it.